Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Metabolism Mindset and Macros podcast. I am your host, certified functional nutritionist, Natalie Guevara, and I created this podcast to help you redefine your health with Hashimoto's and PCOS. Spending far too long going undiagnosed and dismissed with my own Hashimoto's and PCOS, I know how frustrating it can be to know that something is just not quite right with your health and your body and to have no one listen to you. I am a mom of three, a wife, a relentless problem solver, and a definite overachiever. I spent way too long battling my body with restrictive dieting, insane supplements, only to find myself even more overwhelmed and burned out. Fortunately, I don't give up easily, so I have dedicated my life and my career to helping myself feel better and translated that into helping hundreds of women just like yourself really improve their their mindset, their metabolism, and their health with Hashimoto's and PCOS. Today, I'm sharing a recording from a live masterclass that I taught back in May of this year called called the Hashimoto's Roadmap. This is a masterclass that I taught that I've received so much positive feedback on how informational it was and how helpful it was. And I hope that it is going to help you today, or at least flip your perspective on a few different things. This is a masterclass that I am still receiving requests for the replay. So I thought that I would just share it here with you on the podcast. Now, I will say before you dive in, this is going to be a much longer episode than what you are accustomed to. If you've been listening for a while, if you are new here, welcome. But this is one that you might want to digest over a couple of days, but just know that it's on the podcast. It's going to live here so you can access it anytime that you'd like. I hope you enjoy this. And as always, I would love any feedback that you have for how I can continue to create content just for you. Um, that is helpful in your journey. If you would take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that helps this podcast reach more people so more people can uh, receive the free content that we are putting out. I'll see you on the other side. All right, let me minimize this and move move some faces. All right, everybody, welcome to the Hashimoto's Roadmap. I am just incredibly excited to have the opportunity to present this to you this evening. I do not take the time that you have invested to be here with me live or to watch this replay lightly. Um, your time is valuable. Your energy is valuable. And so I am here to really just give you um, what I hope is going to be so incredibly helpful, so incredibly informative so that you can leave here with more clarity and more confidence on your own Hashimoto's journey. Um, we're gonna dive into the steps you can take to reverse your symptoms. We're gonna dive into how to understand your body so that you can accomplish that, identifying triggers um, and making sustainable, keyword sustainable changes in nutrition, lifestyle and fitness that frankly don't suck. So. I am going to be sharing my knowledge. I'm going to be sharing personal experience and I'm going to be sharing professional experience from being in the health and health and fitness space for over 15 years. You are, if you are here, you're in the right place. If you're tired of being told your labs are fine, yet you don't feel it. Um, this is my personal favorite. You're tired of showering and getting dressed in the morning, feeling like an endurance sport, right? Um, this is not a normal uh, element of fatigue. You felt like you're doing all the right things. You're doing all the things that you're told for your health and stubborn weight and you have stubborn weight and none of it is working to help you to feel better. We've got 60 minutes together this evening. What we're going to be going over is Hashimoto's. 
what the heck is it? And how is it actually impacting your day-to-day life? How we can actually identify the symptoms, what's triggering them so that you can actually get to the root cause. We're going to talk about what what root cause actually means um, as well. What nutrition can do to help support your body as well as your goals, as well as reversing your symptoms and just feeling better. We're going to talk about balancing your hormones for harmony and health. We're going to talk about the lifestyle factors that can influence Hashimoto symptoms and the benefits and shortcomings of exercise for individuals with Hashimoto's. So by the end of our chat tonight, I'm, I want you to stop wondering why your body is working against you and move to a place of thriving rather than surviving. That is, that is my main goal. Now we only have 60 minutes together. A lot of what we're covering tonight is what I work on with my one-on-one clients and in my coaching program, which I will talk about a little bit, but I really want you to leave here with clarity, with confidence. Like you feel like, you know, the next step to take to begin reversing your symptoms and creating your own roadmap. I'm going to show you where you can stop putting energy, time, and money into generic recommendations, hacks, fads, supplements, all of the things. And again, show you how to move forward with clarity and confidence. I promise to you over this next hour together is I'm going to show you the exact steps that I have used and dozens of my clients took to begin reversing their symptoms of Hashimoto so they can move from a place of surviving and watching their lives pass them by to a place of thriving and feeling like they're a part of their lives once again, to feel confident and safe in their body and to know what to do rather than exhaust themselves with conflicting information on the internet and frankly from doctors and other care providers. Here's the deal. It is not impossible to reverse the symptoms of Hashimoto's. You can feel energized, vibrant, and comfortable in your genes. Results begin with the right focus and clear action. Essentially, you can live your life. You can feel alive again. You can feel good um, despite what other people might have told you. When I, and I'm going to share a little bit of my story, but when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I thought that the way I was living my life was as good as it could possibly get for me. And I learned that that wasn't true. And I want you to understand that that's not true for you as well. So pay attention, get cozy, turn off extra, uh, extractions, distractions, and take notes. You will get access to this replay. So anything that you're just like, oh, I'm getting tired. I want to go back to this. Just know that you will have that and you will be able to refer back to it at any time. So let me introduce myself. My name is Natalie Guevara. I'm a functional nutritionist, master health coach. I'm a mom. I have a 16, a 14-year-old, and a 10-month-old. And I also have Hashimoto's and PCOS. Mm. There we go. I also have Hashimoto's and PCOS. My journey started a long time ago with a history of, I was a personal trainer. I did a lot of exercise obsession, chronic dieting, all of the things, which eventually led to me feeling defeated. It led me to feeling depleted. And I got to a state where I was in this constant uh, cycle of chronic pain, chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety. And I was told a million and five things, except for anything that was helpful. My experience with getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's was one of being dismissed. No one wanted to believe my symptoms. Actually, I was frequently told, you just need to get more rest. The story about taking a shower and getting dressed, feeling like an endurance sport was very much my day-to-day life. I can remember in the heart of my Hashimoto's experience, taking a shower and feeling like I need to sit down on the bed and take a break before I could actually get dressed and start my day. I would frequently get up, have no energy, and then I was ready for a nap, 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. 
And I knew in my heart of hearts that this wasn't the best that my life could be, despite multiple doctors telling me that there was nothing wrong. I was just depressed. We had multiple miscarriages, my husband and I, when we were trying to conceive our now 10 month old, we had multiple miscarriages. And I was actually told by an OBGYN at one point, you know, once you actually get pregnant through pregnancy and childbirth, which is also true, uh, you're going to get even more tired, which wasn't helpful information. I was offered in the middle of all my birth, um, my miscarriages, I was offered birth control to help quote balance my hormones in order to feel better and get to a place where I could carry a child to full term, which frankly wasn't going to be helpful for my experience. It took a lot of digging. It took a lot of trial and error for me to actually get a diagnosis to get someone to actually listen to me through my knowledge and through my experience through nutrition, I decided to pivot and go into functional nutrition, functional nutrition for you guys that aren't aware teeters on the edge between we have um, over here, we have Western medicine, and then we have the more naturopathic side and functional nutrition acknowledges both. When people ask me exactly what a functional nutritionist is, I say I'm a little bit of a science nerd and a little bit of a hippie kind of um, mushed together. And so I went down that route to actually understand more about my body, to understand more about nutrition and fitness and lifestyle for me so that I could help myself because I learned that no one was coming to save me. Through all this, I learned that there were so many other women out there that were experiencing the exact same thing, being told that they were lazy, being told that they just needed to eat better, eat less, exercise more, come back when in six months, your lab is, your lab work is fine. I cannot tell you how many times I was told those exact words, your lab work is fine. Until I learned to actually read lab work on my own. And I was like, wait a minute, my lab work is not actually fine which led me down the path to doing exactly what I do now. I help women understand Hashimoto's. I help women understand autoimmunity so they too can reverse their symptoms of autoimmunity without these restrictive bad diets or extreme supplement protocols. When I was first diagnosed, I was placed on so many supplements. I was having to choke them down every single day. I was told I had to give up gluten, had to give up dairy and do all these extreme things with my diet that led me to gaining 10 pounds, feeling bloated, even more exhausted and absolutely miserable. So I'm here to tell you that there is another way. There is a better way. And here's the secret. That way is your own way. And so what I'm all about in my work with clients and what I'm going to share with you tonight is about finding your own unique path, your own roadmap to creating the lifestyle that not only is going to help support you, but is going to be one, again, that doesn't suck, that's sustainable. So let's talk about an overview of what is Hashimoto's. There's a lot of controversy around, it's not really controversial, but um, a lot of conflicting information around Hashimoto's and doctors actually do a really poor job of explaining what this is. This is why a lot of people will leave a doctor's appointment if they do get a diagnosis. And we're gonna talk about how you can support yourself in getting that actual diagnosis. When they do get a diagnosis, they leave confused as to why their thyroid medicine is supposed to just help them feel better and it doesn't. So Hashimoto's disease is an autoimmune condition. It primarily affects the thyroid gland, but I'm going to talk about this a little bit further down in the presentation, but we actually have thyroid hormone in every single cell of our body. So it makes sense that just giving ourselves thyroid medication, which replaces the actual thyroid hormone is not enough to address every single cell in oh. our body. It can lead to various symptoms such as fatigue, weight gain, hair loss, brain fog, mood swings, anxiety, depression, skin conditions, trouble regulating your body temperature, um, fertility issues, menstrual cycle issues, um, as well as, as constipation and gut and digestion issues. So it's really important that we understand these symptoms because they can actually help us to manage the condition more effectively, which is why 
Doing a generic approach or a one-size-fits-all approach rarely actually works. What works for one person over here is likely not to work for another person. And we really want to make sure that we recognize the uniqueness of you, your body, your lifestyle, your history. Every single person listening to this is coming into this with a different background. They have different personal preferences. They are at different seasons of their life. They have different ways that they're living their lives, whether you have a family, a career, all kinds of different things that are coming together to create you. So it makes sense that without creating a protocol that addresses all those um, unique factors and nuances, it's not actually going to help support you in creating the life that you want to live. So here's the interesting thing. The rate of Hashimoto's is increasing with each decade. One in every five women will be affected with Hashimoto's at some point in their life, and many women who have this condition may not know. Why? They're not being properly tested, they have, or they have been simply diagnosed with a sluggish thyroid. So what does that actually look like? When we're tested for quote, Hashimoto's, when we're tested for thyroid disease, most doctors are going to test us with a generic blood panel that tests one thing, the test our TSH. I actually did a podcast episode on the Metabolism Mindset and Macros podcast. I'll actually send that out with the replay where I talked about the different things that we need to be testing and we need to be looking at. Because here's the secret, you can actually have, quote, normal thyroid labs and still have Hashimoto's. What we're looking for are the antibodies and that is showing us that we have an autoimmune condition. Because Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition that actually attacks the thyroid gland, it is possible to have Hashimoto's without having hypothyroidism. However, it's not typically seen that way because Hashimoto's goes undiagnosed so frequently. So you may get diagnosed with a quote sluggish thyroid, meaning your thyroid levels are not maybe optimal, but they're still in a functional range, yet you do have something going on there and it's just getting missed partially because doctors are not as familiar with autoimmunity as, as some other doctors, and partially because a lot of this stuff just gets overlooked and we just keep getting ignored, right? If you're tired, you need to take a nap. Maybe you need to drink some more water. We've all heard all of the things. So we're going to change some of this tonight. We're going to change our understanding of Hashimoto's um, so that we can better advocate for ourselves and better understand our condition and better understand understand where to go from here. So again, so many women are misdiagnosed or not diagnosed due to not being properly tested, or they've simply been diagnosed with a sluggish thyroid. Hashimoto's causes 90% of hypothyroid cases, hypothyroid cases in the U.S., and hypothyroidism in itself is a clinical state of low levels of thyroid hormone in the body. Hashimoto's is a condition of the immune system. So they're two separate different things. However, Hashimoto's affects the thyroid gland, which is where they kind of get lumped together, take your thyroid medication, everything's going to get better. And then it doesn't actually work that way. Hashimoto's is also the number one, most common autoimmune condition um, of all. So we talked about it. Some of the common symptoms experienced, we're looking at fatigue and low energy levels, which I lumped separately from things like brain fog, weight gain or difficulty losing weight are really, really common for women that have Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. Why is that? Because your thyroid is, is like the governor. It's in charge of our metabolism. It's in charge of our metabolic rate. So naturally when we have hypo slower, it slows down our metabolic rate. Now, so many women, especially women that I have worked with personally have been told, you know, weight loss may not be possible for you, or it's going to be extra challenging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And while yes, there may be some complexity to it, it is not impossible. So if weight loss or difficulty losing weight is one of the symptoms that you're experiencing, it is absolutely possible for you to maintain a healthy weight and feel good and confident in your body. And I want you to know that. Hair loss or thinning hair is another really big thing that a lot of people with thyroid dysfunction and autoimmune um, dysfunction deal with. One of the ways that I actually knew that I had something going on with my immune system is actually, it was in the winter months and my scalp was flaking. My scalp was flaking and my face was flaking. And it was really, really embarrassing um, because it looked like I had dandruff all the time. And I actually, this is a, this is a vanity thing, but I was having my eyebrows microbladed because thinning of the eyebrows is also a sign of thyroid stuff. All of these things that I learned later. And I was really self-conscious about my eyebrows yet. It would not take the, the dye because my skin kept flaking off. And finally my esthetic was like, you know, this is not a skin thing. I was, I was going to get facials. I was trying all, you know, the skin hydrating things. It was winter and trying different shampoos, trying to not wash my hair, every single thing and nothing was working. She finally was like, you know what? I, I think this is an endocrine issue. I don't think that this is a skin issue. And that was just more confirmation that there was actually more going on with my body than what was being supported and what was being heard. Um, and so that led me down the rabbit hole of continuing to advocate for myself and say, Hey, something is up here. So it's really important that we actually recognize these symptoms for what they are. Um, brain fog and difficulty concentrating is another thing I shared before I hit record of why I keep a sticky note on my computer to remind me to record these master classes and these webinars. Um, but one of the things that actually held me back a little bit in my career and my education is this belief that I had that I was I was slow. It took me a little bit longer to learn things. Um, sometimes I mix up my words or I'll say things backwards, and it just makes me really really self conscious. And it wasn't until I started to understand autoimmunity hypothyroidism a little bit deep, more deeply that I learned that actually that's a symptom of thyroid dysfunction because things are running a little bit more slower. It doesn't mean that you're any less intelligent or any less, um, competent to do anything. We're just, it's just a slower processing symptom and that is system and that is okay. Um, so yeah, difficulty concentrating things, folks with autoimmunity, thyroid dysfunction will get often um, get lumped in with like ADD and ADHD, and some of them even have those things. Um, but part of it is an autoimmune component of the brain fog. Mood swings is another really big thing that gets my misdiagnosed a lot. Now, I want to start with just a disclaimer here. This is not a conversation about uh, whether or not we need to be on antidepressants and, and mental health medications and things like that. But it is important to recognize that things like anxiety and depression are a huge symptom of autoimmunity and a huge symptom of hypothyroidism and they often go overlooked. It often is a simple, we're going to take antidepressants and this is going to fix it. But again, going back to, and I promise we're going to talk about it in just a second, that root cause, what is actually causing the anxiety? What is actually causing the depression? I had an, uh, a newer client, we've been working together about four months who, when we first started working together, she was like, you know, everyone has just told me that I'm just a depressed person. I just have depression. And she's like, I don't identify as a depressed person. There's something else in here that is not a depressed person. I want to feel alive. I want that vibrance that I feel on the inside to come out so that I'm not just constantly told that I'm depressed here, take this medication, you're depressed. Um, and I very, very, very much resonated with that. Another big part of my own journey is I've been on multiple antidepressants is I, again, I was just handed these things. This is why you're tired. It's because you're depressed. This is why you're anxious. It's because you're depressed and all of these things. Um, and while sometimes these medications are necessary and can help us and can support us for me, understanding why I was actually anxious and depressed was a game changer. 
Um, cold sensitivity is another, another huge thing inability to regulate body temperature. So the thyroid actually regulates our body temperature. Um, so difficulty actually sweating. Again, this was one of my claim to fames when I was younger. Um, I could go to the gym and work out and then I could go do whatever because I didn't sweat. And I thought that was a great thing, but actually it was because my body wasn't detoxing appropriately because I had a slower thyroid. So um, wasn't something to be bragging about anyway, but I'll const you'll constantly see me in my house with the sweater on or doing whatever. And it's just because my body doesn't regulate my temperature um, like it does someone that has a normally functioning thyroid. And again, some of these symptoms, it's like there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a part of who we are. But knowing that, owning that, and recognizing it for what it is can be really helpful as we move forward. And then, of course, things like irregular menstrual cycles are a big thing when it comes to thyroid health if you are still a cycling individual. And this is where a lot of folks are just handed birth control pills, again, to regulate your hormones. <laughs> However, that's not exactly how that works. Birth control is surprising pressing our natural hormones and putting synthetic hormones in our body, um, to either stop our menstrual cycle or to, um, uh, make it look like we're having somewhat of a normal cycle. And it's actually a fake cycle. So let's talk about identifying triggers. So we just talked about some of the symptoms and in order to prevent, to reverse some of these negative ex uh, symptoms that we're experiencing, we have to know what's triggering them in the first place, right? Um, so the thing about Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, especially coming from different medical providers who want to throw supplements and medications and things like that. Again, this is not a conversation. If you have thyroid medicine, please take it every single day. I take mine every single day. Um, if you are, are going to a doctor, they, they like to throw things at it, right? We have these negative symptoms. And so a lot of doctors, especially for me working in the health and fitness space for so long, a lot of folks with hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's are told eat less, exercise more. And so people would come to me and this is how I started to understand that there were so many women that were suffering and struggling are really frustrated because no matter what they can, what they do, they can't lose weight because they're just told these generic things, take your thyroid medication, eat less, exercise more. Once you lose weight, everything's going to be magically better. And sometimes this is making symptoms worse. Sometimes this is making, um, you know, all kinds of things worse and worse. And then we're dealing with things like disordered eating. We're dealing with things like body image issues, all kinds of different things that are not helpful for managing this actual condition. Um, and so what that's not doing by throwing medication, throwing supplements, throwing diets and all these other things at our symptoms, it's not actually addressing why we have the symptoms in the first place. And this is where autoimmunity gets to be really complex, but the good news is, is it's typically not that complicated to reverse them when we actually understand where they're coming from. So now that we have a better understanding of what we're looking at, let's explore triggers that can actually make this worse. So what is a trigger? I like to explain a trigger as the straw that broke the camel's back or the final domino. When I'm talking to my clients about exploring what their trigger is, we're looking at a burden bucket. So more often than not, when we start to explore triggers, it is the straw that broke the camel's back that gets blamed for whatever the symptom is, right? Here's a, this is something that I see a lot. Hashimoto's is really, really common. So it's, it's generally brought on by an infection. It's brought on by stress, um, a number of different things. And one of those being pregnancy. And so I get a lot of clients that are diagnosed with Hashimoto's in their postpartum phase. And so what they feel has brought on excess weight, fatigue, um, some of the brain fog and things like that is the actual pregnancy, childbirth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
when it, that's not really it at all. There's been the burden bucket that's been stacking, 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 stacking. And so then we feel like this is the trigger and that's just what set everything off. When it comes to Hashimoto's in itself, we generally have a burden bucket for that. Stress, trauma, infection. Um, there are environment, environmental triggers, all kinds of different things that are stacking in our bucket. And then we generally have one big life event, pandemic, um, that sets all these things off and puts our, our immune system into this state of attack. And I don't really like to look at this as an attack. When we're, we're talking about symptoms and we're talking about triggers, what I like to explain to folks is we're put into a really negative mindset around it. And it's natural, right? When you're told your immune system is attacking your body, your immune system is attacking your thyroid. There's all this, this battle language. And when you're dealing with these negative symptoms, it can feel really defeating. You feel like you're not living your life. You feel like, you know, I've, I've had people explain it to me. It's like an out of, out of body experience. You're, you're kind of watching life pass you by as you're, you're sitting back here. But what we need to know in order to identify triggers, in order to reverse symptoms, that anytime that we are experiencing a symptom, it is our body sounding an alarm bell that says, hey, something is going on here. And so when it comes to identifying triggers and starting the process of reversing the symptoms, understanding that this is a communication is going to make it so much easier. It's not going to seem easy at the start because it's much easier to blame and try to put band-aids on things. I know this from years and years of experience in my own body, but in order to get to the root cause, and this is where we're actually going to talk about that, we have to understand what our body is communicating. The body is a fascinating thing. Our metabolism is a fascinating thing. Our metabolism, which we're told through messaging and advertisements and all of these things is just a fat loss calculator is actually what keeps us alive. And it has one primary focus and that is to keep us safe. Hormones are the way our body communicates. And so when we have these hormonal communications, when we have these things like fatigue, when we have these things like skin issues and all of these things that we're like, gosh, this is the worst ever. It is just our body trying to say, hey, something is up. I need some support here. And so by digging a little bit deeper and understanding what's going on here, we can actually start to pull back the layers, pull back the layers of the dirt and the burden bucket, or you can look at it. It's always a Shrek re reference is the, the layers of an onion, right? Getting to the center. And that is the root cause of our symptom. Now, here's the thing. Triggers can vary from person to person, right? But some common ones include stress. Again, environmental uh, factors. So this could be this could be anything from the conditions that that you live in. It can be mold. It can be um, allergens, things like that. That can all play a role. Food sensitivities are another thing. Now, this is one of the ones that gets villainized the most, which is why so many people are told to give up gluten and dairy and things like that. And we're going to talk about that more um, in a minute. But by identifying triggers, we can take steps to minimize their impact on our well-being and how we actually want to live our lives. Here's the big thing, and we're going to talk more about stress, but I like to, to put this in a couple of times. 
stress can be anything from your job. It can be over-exercising. It can be dieting. It can be traffic. It can be um, a global pandemic. It can be, um, you know, things in your family. There's like a number of different things, but one of the big things that people don't consider enough are these protocols, are these boxes that we put ourselves in to solve things like Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism that are putting so much stress on us that we don't even realize that it's actually negating what it could potentially do. Now, this is not, I'm not going to spend the entire presentation dogging the AIP diet, but I've seen this again and again and again with folks that choose to go down that route. They choose to go down that route with no evidence that it's absolutely the thing for them. And they put so much stress on themselves by trying to make sure that they're eating compliant foods and doing X, Y, and Z. That is actually just putting more stress on the burden bucket, bucket and triggering more symptoms of autoimmunity versus reversing them, if that makes sense. By the way, guys, I can't see the chat while I'm in the presentation mode, but if any questions come up as I'm going through this, please drop it in the chat. And at the end of the presentation, um, I will go through some, some questions and make sure that we have clarity on those. So let's talk about some methods to identify personal triggers, such as a symptom journal. So a symptom journal is exactly that. <laughs> it's, it's not a, um, this is not a Trojan horse. A symptom journal is exactly that. And this is something that I like all of my clients to do is to keep a journal of what we're eating, what we're doing. And this doesn't need to be anything extreme, like tracking macros or tracking calories or um, anything of the kind, but it's a simple way to just keep tabs on what's going on in your day-to-day -day life. And when you're starting to experience what I refer to as flare. So I'm going to use energy as one, because this is one of the most common things that I see people struggling with, especially that 3 p.m. energy slump, which I also like to explain to people again, is your body communicating with you, right? It's not trying to, um, you know, put a wrench in your day, but it is trying to slow you down because it needs something. So by keeping a symptom journal, we can keep tabs on, okay, this is when I'm experiencing this 3 p.m. slump. And we can look at this is what I had for lunch. This is what I had for breakfast. This is what was going on at work. This is what was going on um, in my family. I got you know, frustrated in traffic, all these different things that are happening during the day. And again, this doesn't have to look like any formal thing. I have some of my clients who keeping um, like on the Apple phone, they keep the, uh, the notes app open and they use different emojis. That's just a simple way for them to keep tabs of like, this is what's going on, taking pictures of their food, um, letting, using an emoji for when they're experiencing a stressful situation, when they're feeling fatigued, when they're feeling bloated, all of these different symptoms that they're experiencing and just going through their day. And this gives us a really clear picture of where they're actually coming from. And this is a great way to actually figure out what foods are trigger triggering things like bloating and digestive issues that can be triggering things like mood issues, anxiety, depression, all these other things that can be, they all tie together. Um, so this can actually be a really powerful way, not actually can be, it is a really powerful way to figure out what your triggers are so that we know what we actually need to shift and change. I use this method, it's called AIM, assess, investigate, and modify. So when we're keeping a trigger journal, we can assess, okay, this is our data. This is what we have in our journal. Now let's investigate. Let's look at it a little bit more deeply and let's look at what we actually need to modify. The thing about autoimmunity is it is, again, I'm going to use the word again, it is complex. And so when people think about the complexity of it, we think that the strategy and the protocol needs to be really complex and complicated and hard. But it rarely, rarely, rarely ever does. I can't think of one single client on my roster that has just a, an out of this world protocol. It usually is very, very, very simple things. I'm thinking right now of a client that I have. She's an endurance athlete. 
and she has thyroid issues. And we very recently started to, to experience some pretty significant fatigue. And so by using this symptom journal, we started to, to figure out, you know, what's going on around this because we'd, we'd actually gotten rid of this and nothing's changed. She's still doing the same mileage that she was doing, um, same experience, nothing's really changed in her diet, except this one thing. She started to get a little bit lax about her lunches because she was out on the trail and she just got tired of um, making the same old thing. And so it was a very simple thing of refining what we did around lunchtime to get her back to where she was. And the exact words that she, she used when we kind of dug this apart was that just seems really too simple, but a couple of days back into it, she's like, I'm starting to feel the energy come back up. So it can be really, really simple things. Rarely is it something that is super comp complicated. I also like to use this, this method. I call it, I call it BAM. So you can figure out what the, the middle letter is, but the bare butt minimum um, of what we need to do. And this is this is where generic supplement protocols and things like that can be really harmful. When we start to take all these supplements because some influencer told us that this is gonna make us better or a functional medicine doctor just throws us all of these without taking a really close look at our day-to-day -day life, then we don't know what we actually need and we don't know what's actually working. So then we're wasting time, energy, and yes, money on taking things that we may not actually need. Another client of mine, she was working with in this, She's a, this is a functional nutritionist, but she's an Instagram influencer. And she gave me this list of supplements. She was taking like five or six at breakfast, like four at lunch and like six or seven in the evening. It was, out, it was, it was insane. And doing all of these different things. And she'd been working with this person for eight months. And I was like, well, tell me how you feel versus day one. She's like, I feel exactly the same. I was like, well, that's a problem. This is a lot of money to be throwing at this. And so we, we actually had to start backwards and peeling back the things that she was taking to figure out, okay, are any of these things actually helping or are we just wasting money? And, and what I refer to as making expensive um, bathroom waste. So I do want to talk briefly about this is a really popular thing, food sensitivity testing. Food sensitivity testing is controversial because there's a lot of evidence that supports that it's actually not really helpful. Still, the leading standard is an elimination diet. Elimination diets are something that have also been misused. Things like the Whole30, who, which was actually designed to be an elimination diet, are now used as weight loss strategies and protocols. And so elimination diets can be helpful. However, we need to use them with the correct context that we're not doing it as a way to never have our joy foods ever again, but to actually understand how different foods are impacting our digestion, impacting our energy, our mood, all of the things. So elimination diets can be helpful. It is not the first step that I move through with my clients. Again, going as simple as possible is helpful. I've worked with so many clients that have come to me, gluten-free, dairy-free, AIP, all of the things. And we've actually just started to eat normally and remove that stress, that stress burden, and they've actually started to see results. All right, which brings us into nutrition for Hashimoto's, which is my favorite thing to talk about as a functional nutritionist. Um, but we're gonna talk about the importance of nutrition in managing Hashimoto's. But the thing is nutrition plays a role in, well, just health in general. But when we're trying to improve our health with Hashimoto's, it can play a really big role. So by making conscious choices about what we eat, we can definitely support our bodies and definitely reduce our symptoms. It is important to recognize nutrient deficiencies um, that are commonly associated with Hashimoto's. And so I'm gonna talk about those, but I 
Um, I want to put the disclaimer to please not go out again and, and buy supplements um, without the direction of a healthcare professional, without appropriate lab work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because one of the most common things is iodine. And so you'll see, you know, making sure that we are, have a diet rich in iodine or supplementing with iodine. I do encourage that my clients, when we look at balanced nutrition, that we do make sure that we're, we're taking in plenty of fruits and vegetables and things like that so that we are getting in our micronutrients. Another common deficiency is selenium. However, again, I don't want you to go out and immediately start supplementing with things because too much iodine can also be really harmful to your thyroid. So it's important to know what those levels actually are um, before you go and overdo it. Vitamin D is something that most women are actually deficient in. It's one of, on top of thyroid labs, it's one of my preferred things for my clients to actually get tested so that we can know that if we need to supplement with an appropriate vitamin D um, supplement, as well as B vitamins. Again, I don't want you to go get generic supplements and start saying, okay, vitamin D, vitamin B are going to fix it, but also just paying attention as you are looking at the foods that you eat. You don't need to plan. You don't need to track. You don't need to do anything like that, but looking at your, at your plates, are there colors on there? Am I getting protein? Am I getting carbohydrates? Am I getting fats? All of the different things on there. Do I have a well-blended blend, diet? Because that's going to actually help support us in a lot of the deficiencies, especially when we look at macronutrients. Um, vitamin D is another big one that we can get from being outside, getting some sunlight, and we don't have to worry about food as much there at all. Um, so again, when it comes to nutrition, focusing on incorporating nutrient rich foods. Now, this is not a conversation. Um, if you're new to me, I am not a proponent of just removing all processed and convenience foods. They're convenient, they're tasty, and they can actually be helpful in a part of a balanced diet. But when we focus on actually adding to what we're already eating, then we can start to balance out some of these deficiencies, macro and micro. So macro looks at the things that our body needs in large quantity. That is protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Yes, I said carbohydrates is very necessary. Um, even when you have hypothyroidism, yes, even if you're struggling with weight loss. Um, so a lot of people recommend the generic recommendation of giving up gluten, which actually removes a lot of carbohydrates. And so part of the reason that this is, is that there is a protein in gluten that can can be released into the bloodstream that actually attack, turns on the immune system and has it attack the thyroid more. Here's the thing. When we go down the science and the evidence route, again, let's remember functional nutrition, half science nerd, half hippie. Um, when we go down the functional nutrition route and we look at the research, the research shows that while yes, that can be true, it's typically only true of those who have true celiac disease that cannot process and tolerate gluten. When we look at the actual numbers, that's actually a really small percentage of those that have Hashimoto's. Now, most people that do have celiacs also have Hashimoto's. And if you have a true allergy to gluten or a true sensitivity, and this is one of the few things um, that can be valuable from lab work, then giving up gluten is not proven by evidence to be necessary. I was told that I needed to give up gluten. And that was one of the hardest things that I ever did. It was really stressful. It was really miserable. And I did it for a period of time. I was told that I had to do that in order to get pregnant. And I did it for a long time, didn't see really any health benefits, and I was able to introduce it. Gluten is one of the things that my clients come to me and they say, you know what, I really want to try this thing, that we actually do do elimination diets. And it can be really helpful to know whether or not it's something that truly makes a difference for you. So I don't want to say it's absolutely not going to make a difference for you. I have maybe... 25% of the clients on my roster are truly gluten-free and the rest of them eat gluten in moderation. 
The other thing about gluten is, you know, going back to the stress and looking at extremes, we can minimize some of these things. If we know that it's going to be harmful, if we know it's going to cause bloating, if we know it causes X, Y, and Z, we can minimize these things and see if it's enough just to pull it back without completely eliminating it. Part of the problem with the nutrition and fitness industry is it operates in extremes. You're either over here or you're over here. And where I'm sitting, again, functional nutrition balances in between two things. There's a middle ground. And so my goal when I work with folks is to find that middle ground for them. Because for a lot of people, living in these extremes makes their lifestyle really, really impossible to live and actually enjoy their life. And the same with dairy. Now, dairy is one of the easier ones to figure out if we have a sensitivity. But there is no reason to just completely eliminate dairy from your diet if you do not have a sensitivity. Now, if you're telling me that you consume dairy products and then we're immediately having, you know, cramping and, and, and discomfort in our gut and all of the things, then that's a different conversation. So making sure that we have balance is the number one. And so any of these diets that completely remove balance from our lives, um, and I'm going to talk about a couple more, but I do want to talk about the gut, can be really, really actually harmful for our overall health and well-being. So gut health. Gut health is also a hot topic for a good reason when it comes to Hashimoto's, when it comes to um when it comes to hypothyroidism because the gut and the thyroid are directly connected. So optimizing gut health and supporting the microbiome, I'm going to I'm going to talk about that a little bit in just a moment um, so we have some clarity on that. The gut and the thyroid have a close relationship and imbalances in the gut bacteria can impact our thyroid function and our immune response. So it's important for thyroid health. It's also important for our immunity as well as, um, you know, autoimmune conditions. So there's simple ways that we can actually work with our gut health and it doesn't have to be crazy extreme protocols. So looking at things like fermented foods, things like sauerkraut, kefir, um, kimchi is one of my favorites can help promote a healthy gut and the microbiome. Again, I'm going to go over the microbiome in just a minute. I promise I won't forget. Probiotics can be helpful in some cases. Again, it's not one of those things that I recommend my clients go out and do unless we are like, you know, when we're having some gut issues, let's try this for a period of time because our gut is really smart. Everything in our body is incredibly smart and it's designed to adapt. That's the thing about your metabolism. When we get caught up in, oh, well, it's so slow and I can't lose weight. It's adapting to keep us safe. It's adapting to keep us alive. And so that's actually a really cool thing. When we shift our mindset and we shift our perspective to say, holy cow, this is actually keeping us alive, um, then we can approach it from a much more positive standpoint and a positive approach, which actually yields better changes. And that is shown by evidence again and again and again. Um, additionally, some, some prebiotic rich foods like onions, garlic, artichokes um, can help healthy bacteria in our gut. So let's talk about microbiome. Um, the gut microbiome refers to the diverse community. Um, so I think about all these little things in our gut of microorganisms in our digestive tract. It plays a vital role in digestion, nutrient absorption, immune function, and overall health. Here's the cool part about the microbiome. It interacts with the brain, influencing our mood and our cognition. This is where gut health directly, this is where the anxiety and things like that can come from nutrition, which is absolutely fascinating if you ask me. Um, so influencing mood and cognition, imbalances in the gut microbiome can contribute to various health conditions, um, such as autoimmunity, such as um, all kinds of things, but we're going to keep it on autoimmune right now. So diet, 
lifestyle, medications for sure can all affect its composition, but we're going to talk about things from, again, a diet and a lifestyle perspective. So looking at stress, looking at balanced nutrition and how that can actually really influence our gut health. Here's one more thing that I'm going to say about gluten. If you are going the gluten-free route, which again, if that is right for you, your family and your lifestyle, I'm in complete support of that. I support folks through that every single day. I want you to make sure that you're getting plenty of dietary fiber. So a lot of things that happen when we are removing things is we're removing other things and we don't actually realize that because dietary fiber is a huge part in keeping um, a healthy gut. So maintaining a healthy gut microbiome involves, again, balanced diet, probiotic foods, um, limited antibiotic use. Again, if your doctor prescribes antibiotics, you know, question, question them at your will, but if you have an infection, please take that <laughs> stress management and physical activity exercise plays a big role in that. And we'll get into that more when we talk about exercise. Um, so yeah, just understanding what your microbiome is, how cool it is, um, and what an impact it has can make a powerful, um, driver and how we're making choices around our nutrition and, and, and our lifestyle. So again, looking at different dietary approaches that I like people to be mindful of anti-inflammatory diets, Ideally, we all want an anti-inflammatory diet, right? But that doesn't mean that we need to get on Google and say anti-inflammatory diet. Anti-inflammatory diet is going to be something that's anti-inflammatory for you. So what might inflame you might not inflame me or vice versa. That's where a symptom journal can be invaluable. How is this food impacting my day-to-day -day life? How is this food impacting me um, as I'm eating at 30 minutes after, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which again, can seem like a lot at first, um, but the value that you're getting from doing this is, is huge. So making sure that you're doing things like that. Um, also looking at things like the autoimmune protocol diet and how that's actually removing things that you need, making sure that we're, if you do choose to go down that route, again, I'm not going to tell you not to, I'm going to tell you that it's likely not necessary, that you're still balancing your, your nutrition. This is one of the biggest downsides that I see from folks doing this. Their nutrition is not balanced and they're creating deficiencies when they already had deficiencies. Things like fasting. Fasting can actually be really, really harmful when we look at the stress component of it, right? We're skipping meals, where cortisol is rising, and this is creating a stress response in our body, affecting our gut, affecting our health. Fasting is can be most of the time really harmful for autoimmune conditions as well as hypothyroidism. Now, this is talking about the traditional intermittent fast of a 16 and 8. There's actually evidence supporting that a 12-hour fast saying you know, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. is perfectly fine. That does actually let the gut, gut rest and does create some of the benefit that people are preaching about intermittent fasting. But when we go to that 16 and eight, that's creating additional stress and generally is not allowing us to have, again, that balanced nutrition, it's creating more deficiencies and creating more stress in the body. Lifestyle modifications, everyone's favorite. So of course, lifestyle choices have a significant impact on our overall being, including the management of Hashimoto's. And so again, this is all about conscious changes in our daily routines. Kind of like my client said the other day, like this is so simple. That's one of my main goals in every realm that we're looking at. So I look at this as the six mile post, right? Um, and so this is, this is the fifth mile post one of the mileposts, um, as we're coming down and we can, we can look at that in a wheel and we want to make it the changes that we make anytime as gradual as possible because of the stress buildup, right? So one of the key areas that we do focus on, and this is not, this is at the bottom here, but we're going to talk about it first because I did this backwards. <laughs> one of the key areas to focus on is stress management. Um, stress can make 
Hashimoto symptoms so much louder by affecting the hormone balance and immune function. So it's really, really crucial as a part of our lifestyle modifications that we find effective stress management techniques that work for you. So again, I'm going to go back to how creating a strategy, creating a protocol that adds additional stress is unsustainable. And it's going to add more stress to your immune system. It's going to create more dirt in the burden bucket, if you will. Um, this includes doing really unsustainable. I, I, in my notes wrote weird, I'm going to go with that weird nutrition practices. Um, same for same for fitness. And here's the funny thing. Some of our stress management techniques can actually add additional stress. One of my clients was sharing with me yesterday how she has a gratitude journal practice, which again is shown by evidence to be really, really helpful in creating a positive mindset. And she was telling me how frustrated she was getting about doing this gratitude practice every single night, but she had to make sure that she did it in order to check that box. Um, and so we had a really in-depth conversation about how the thing to help her manage her stress was actually creating more stress, which is not helpful at all. So that's where I really emphasize that it needs to be helpful for you. Now, here's the thing about making lifestyle changes. Something has got to change in order for something to change for, for the good, for the negative, for whatever have to create change, but we need to make sure that it's going to be something that is going to be beneficial for you. So some of the, the three um, stress management techniques that are backed by the most evidence. Um, so again, make sure that we pull the, the science nerd in there. <laughs> Excuse me. Meditation and mindfulness. So this is not, you know, we don't need to get a meditation cushion out, light incense and, and carve out three hours in our day. Um, practicing meditation can be a five minute practice that you do on your lunch break. It can be something that you do in the morning. If you're having a stressful day at the end of the day to wind down, um, it can look like absolutely anything. Mindfulness by definition is just the practice of being aware it's pausing. Um, so making sure that we are doing things again, that's going to promote a sense of calm that to me says, okay, this is a stress management, um, technique that, that you can use. If you feel a sense of calm, if it's forced, it's probably probably not helping to manage your stress. So in real life, there are things like, you know, for those of you that have a Peloton, there's Peloton meditation. There's all kinds of different genres and things on there. Um, there's things like the insight timer app. It's completely free. It has all kinds of different meditations on there. Another app called calm headspace. There's all kinds of things out there that can actually help support this yoga and gentle, gentle stretching. This is not power yoga. This is not hot yoga. This is not, um, endurance yoga can also be really helpful. Um, you know, engaging in a gentle stretching practice can relax your body. It can relax your nervous system, which is the goal and improve your flexibility and alleviate tension. So tension headaches and all of those things. But again, if you're like, Oh, I hate yoga, it's probably not going to be the practice for you. One of the, on top of meditation, one of the simplest ones um, that I use the most with my clients are deep breathing exercises. And so this can look like sitting at your desk, not while you're driving, but you know, in a parked car, closing your eyes, taking deep breaths in through your nose, out through your nose, in through your nose, out through your mouth, just allowing yourself to slow down. Let your nervous system come from this constant state of fight or flight into rest and digest, which again, going back to that connection to the gut health, which is so, so, so important. Um, going back to minimizing things like our cortisol our stress hormone and things like that can be so, so, so powerful. I have had so many clients that have literally rolled their eyes at me when I said, you know, we're going to focus on five minutes of deep breathing every single day for the next two weeks and see what changes. Um, and then when they've come back after two weeks and been like, oh my gosh, everything changed. Um, so it is a really powerful practice. So deep breathing exercises such as diaphragmatic breathing, 
um, alternate nostril breathing, which there are a million and five YouTube videos for these things. So make sure you check out some of these things if you want to look at different ways to incorporate breath work, activate the body's relaxation response and reduce stress. Um, there's also a type of breath called box breath that you can do literally anytime throughout the day. Goes into my next thing, which is really a sore subject for me right now, sleep. Um, quality sleep is essential for hormone regulation, immune function, and overall well-being. As I said earlier, I have a 10-month-old. We actually hired a sleep consultant um, this week. We've just started this week, so I'm hopeful to get some sleep because it is incredible <laughs> how how um, how difficult it can be to manage any sense of well-being when you're not getting quality sleep. So establish a, a consistent sleep schedule. These are some of the, the least popular things um, that I get to talk about because it seems so simple, yet it can be so impactful. Establish a, a consistent sleep schedule. Now, for some of you that have children, um, I have one client who's an air traffic control person who works all kinds of different schedules. That can be really challenging. So the advice that I offer them is just to create consistency in the routine so that our body knows, just like you would, and I've gotten firsthand experience with this as we try to sleep train, as you would do for a child, give them the routine, the environment, all the things, soothe them before going to bed. Do the same for yourself. But again, it comes down to figuring out what works for you. Try to go to bed and wake at the same time. If that isn't possible for your lifestyle, try to create consistency around when you're, how you're going to bed and how you're waking up. But I do recommend if you have the privilege to go to sleep at the same time every single night, Yes, even on the weekends, um, I preach this to my husband and my children. I, I get a little pushback on that. Um, if you are able to do that, do that and wake up at the same time. This is one of the, I love to sleep and love to sleep. And I spent a period of time sleeping on the weekends. And when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, all I wanted to do was sleep on the weekends. And this was one of the hardest things for me to implement. So I just want to call that out. Um, I was already tired, but it did make a huge difference in me being able to regulate my circadian rhythm, which helped with my cortisol function, which eventually helped with my energy. Create a sleep-friendly environment. This is another huge thing. Ensure your bedroom is cool, dark, and quiet. I'm actually going to share stuff from a, from a sleep consultant. One of the things, the first things that she had us do was turn down the thermostat in our bedroom. We had it at 74 degrees and she said no more than 72. 68 to 72 is supported by evidence being the perfect temperature in the room. So we want it cool, dark, and quiet. Um, you can use things like blackout curtains, earplugs, white noise machines, eye mask, any of those things, but try to give yourself the opportunity to get the best quality sleep that you can. I know so many of you are so tired and these are little tiny lifestyle modifications that you can just level up things that you're already doing. So many of us are already going to bed. We're waking up still tired. And so by implementing just a little thing, and you don't have to do all the things at once. I want to be really clear on that. Not all the things at once can really start to turn the tables on how you're feeling throughout the day, how you're able to show up for yourself throughout the day, how you're able to show up for your family, your job, the things that you want to do. One of the hardest things about my diagnosis was I didn't have the motivation to do the things that I wanted to do. I love to ride horses. I love to be outside. And it was like, it was like pulling teeth to get me off the couch to go do things that I love to do because I was just too tired to live my life. So when I'm offering these suggestions, I want you to know that I do see you in the fatigue and the, and then, and the, um, the tiredness and all of the things. And so I just want to encourage you to maybe, um, try a few of these things.
And again, going back to the bedtime routine, a relaxing routine before bed. This is not a conversation about you need to spend an hour winding down, meditating, drinking sleepy tea. I, I tried all those things. Um, I did. I tried every single one of them in order to, to sleep better. But by, again, creating that routine before going to bed to signal to your body, it's time to go to sleep. The same you as you would with an infant um, can make all the difference in the world. So you can do things like reading, can take a warm bath, any kind of relaxation team. Again, it's whatever works for you works for you. So again, I say all this stuff, understanding like a lot of the clientele that I work with, they're busy moms or they have careers and things like that. So some of the lifestyle considerations, do you have a certain amount of, of, of privilege attached to them when you can go to sleep? Um, how you can do your stress management, what your job looks like, all of these different things. So I also want to acknowledge that. And then as far as, um, well, I can't go back now, can I? Uh, let's see. I lost my, I lost it. Hmm. Well, PowerPoint, where'd you go? Um, I have these keep myself on track. That's not working. Go back. All right. Um, so the environmental toxins is the last thing that I want to talk about here. Do you let me make this big or not? Wait, from cross side. There we go. Um, lifestyle and uh, consider or the environmental considerations back on track. Um, using things like natural and non-toxic cleaning supplies can be helpful, right? This is an autoimmune condition. There is an immune component. So opting for products that are free from heart, harmful chemicals, parabens, um, synthetic fragrances, and things like that can actually make a really huge difference. Now, again, when I say things like this, I do want to acknowledge that, you know, it's the same when I talk to people about nutrition, right? Grass-fed organic maybe the best thing out there, but it's also the most costly. So when we talk about the stress and the burden bucket, when it comes to stress, taking into consideration that financial stress is a part of that too. I see too many people come to me that they have put their family under way too much financial strain from doing this doctor and this test and this doctor and this test and all of these supplements. And so actually, you know, being able to find something that fits into your budget, that fits into your life is really, really, really important. Things like filtering your drinking water also make a really huge difference. And this can be a little bit less costly. Um, consider using a high quality water filter. You can use things like a Brita, but there are many, many out there to remove as many contaminants from your tap water as possible. And whenever possible, avoid drinking from plastics and um, plastic bottles and things like that, using things like glass and using things like aluminum. Um, that makes a huge difference over, over time as well. Another big thing that nobody likes me to talk about, but I will, and here I am looking at one close to my bed, um, but blue light. Limiting your usage of electronic devices, especially close to bedtime, can make a really big difference because we're stimulating our nervous system. And when we have an, uh, an autoimmune condition, when we have an issue with our immune system, we're already overstimulated. So making sure that we're minimizing um, our stimulation as much as possible. All right, exercise and Hashimoto's. This is always a fun topic as well. So again, engaging in physical activity, we're not gonna have an argument over whether we sh quote, should, I hate to should people, be exercising, but engaging in regular physical activity and exercise is an essential component of managing Hashimoto's for multiple different reasons. And we already kind of alluded to the gut aspect. So 
exercise offers numerous benefits, including boosting your energy. And I'm, I've got a story on that supporting weight management. However, notice I said supporting weight management. We do not do exercise for weight loss. And there's a reason for that. I'll talk about that in a minute, improving mood, enhancing overall cardiovascular and muscular health. So when it comes to exercise as a dial mover for weight loss, especially when we're looking at immunity, autoimmunity, and we're looking at thyroid dysfunction. Again, remembering the metabolism is not a calculator. It's not an equation of eat less, exercise more. It's about finding your Goldilocks gap. And we want to make sure that we're not creating, again, that stress burden. So your metabolism as a safety mechanism, unfortunately, doesn't look in the mirror and says, okay, I'm really unhappy with the way my body looks in these genes. All it knows is that it's storing energy which we see as body fat, and it's doing the very best that it can to keep you safe. A lot of autoimmune conditions are born out of a lack of feeling safe in our bodies. It's a um, point of nervous system dysregulation at some point, and it's a lack of safety. And our metabolism craves safety. All it wants to do is feel safe and for you to feel at home in your body. And so when we look at that, your metabolism wants balance. And so when we are starting to eat less, exercise more, we're pulling it out of balance, which is increasing our stress burden. And so the more we're like, Ooh, diet here, exercise up here, stress burden, stress burden, stress, stress burden. And so it actually is not doing anything, but creating worsening symptoms. Right. Which is why when I started this presentation, I was like extreme diets, extreme exercise protocols are usually making symptoms worse rather than doing what we're doing them for. Right. We do it with good intentions because we want our symptoms to get better. And then they start to get worse. So making sure that we're exercising at just the right amount to where we are getting the benefits of exercise, but looking at it for what it is. And I know that this can be really, really challenging because there are a lot of box gyms and programs that are selling you all these, these exercise things in order to help you lose weight. But at its core, weight loss does come from nutrition. And, but also making sure that we're not, again, pulling too much on that lever to bring it down too far that we are stressing out our metabolism, we're stressing out our immune system, we're increasing cortisol, our stress hormone, and all the different things. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I know that that's a really big thing that a lot of doctors are passing out to folks as far as eat less, exercise more. So how are we supposed to exercise with autoimmunity with all that being said? There's a couple, couple of different things um, when it comes to choosing the right way to exercise for Hashimoto's. Here's some considerations. Your individual needs. Your lifestyle. How much time do you actually have to devote to this? What does your schedule look like? Um, all kinds of different time availability situations. I have so many people that come in to work with me. And they're like, now that I have a coach, I'm going to exercise five times a day. And we have the conversation about what's actually realistic. What do you want to do? Anything that you want to do to get healthy, you should be able to do to sustain the level of health that you want. And this includes weight loss. This is why I tell my weight loss clients all the time, whatever we do to lose weight, we have to do that and then some in order to sustain it. So if you don't wanna be tied to five days of exercising for the rest of your life, let's not teach our body and our metabolism to adapt to that. Let's be more realistic. Um, and then limitations as well. We need to be honest with ourselves. This is something that I have personally struggled with for a really long time is being honest with myself about my limitations and postpartum is just whoo, throw me for a whole new loop. But when I was really, really tired, I knew the rhetoric of exercise is going to give me energy. 
And so we have to understand what our limitations are there. At what point are we hitting the point of no return and we're not getting energy, we're actually making ourselves tired. And so this is actually one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients when it comes to the symptom journal is recognizing when you have the most energy. If you know that you're completely depleted at the end of the day, it's probably not the best time for you to engage in, in, in exercise. Um, but looking at when you have time, when your energy is the highest, and when you can actually support your body and work with it can actually change the game as far as your exercise. But here's the secret. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be 60 minutes. It can be five or 10 minutes. This has been the hardest experience for me in this postpartum phase with my fatigue, with my sleep deprivation and all the things is I only have 10 to 15 minutes, a lot of days to exercise and making that be okay. And here's the thing is it actually is okay for my body right now. I'm feeling good after I exercise. I'm feeling energized. I'm not feeling the after exercise slump, all these different indicators that the exercise is triggering the fatigue. The exercise is triggering a disturbance in my sleep. Going back to that um, symptom journal as a way to actually figure out these puzzle pieces. Low impact exercises. This is something that a lot of folks are told that they have to do when they have hypothyroidism. And while that's not necessarily true, um, I have clients who are running marathons. I have clients who are mountain bikers, endurance athletes, all kinds of different um, ends of the spectrum. But low impact exercises can be really helpful for low energy seasons. If you're in a flare, if you're just having a low energy season, which is me right now, <laughs> um, you can opt for low impact activities that minimize stress on your joints. If you're having a flare, I had a flare after I unfortunately got COVID back in January that caused my, um, my joints to be really inflamed and they were really painful, specifically my knees. And so I had to switch the exercise modality I was doing. I actually started running at the beginning of the year and I had to switch things up. And that can actually be feel like really defeating. And it actually was for me. I had to really work with my coach through some mindset things there because I had a good rhythm going. But recognizing that there are seasons and there are ebbs and flows with this can, again, just really shift your mindset into a positive place of I'm still actually taking care of my body. Even though I'm in a flare, I'm still moving in a, in a positive way and still exercising. So low impact is not the only way to move for autoimmunity, but it's always good to know what you enjoy for low impact just for those seasons. So things like walking, of course, yoga, swimming, cycling. Um, some people like an elliptical machine. I actually despise elliptical machines, so it's not really low impact for me. Um, and different things like that. And so again, using a symptom journal, figuring out what works for you in those seasons can be really, really helpful. Strength training, incorporating strength training exercises can improve muscle strength, metabolism, and overall body composition. Um, overall body composition, things like that. But make sure we're starting with light weights, guys, body weight, things like that to, again, not overstress ourselves. This is another really common thing that I see folks do when they're diagnosed with autoimmunity or really anything. They just start doing everything, right? and not really taking into consideration what the negative outcome of that is. Um, of course, yoga and Pilates are also really popular with those with autoimmunity. I was a yoga teacher for a really long time. I love the practice of yoga, um, but it's also really good for me as far as energy, as far as focus and things like that, flexibility, the mind-body connection, which again can be really powerful when we're looking at how these symptoms are communicating with us um, and how we can actually do that. But listening and trusting your body. This is where I really wanted to bring the hammer down. 
Um, finding the right balance is crucial when it comes to exercise and Hashimoto's, but a lot of us are taught to not listen and not trust our bodies, mainly because we go show up to the doctor's office and we're telling them what's going on in our lived experience and we're being dismissed. Um, and so this leads us to a place of distrust with our own body. We can't trust what our body's saying because we have um, someone of power telling us that that's not actually happening for us. Um, I've had clients come to me and say, you know, I've just been told that I'm lazy because I'm tired all the time and I can't make it to the gym and do all these things. So many negative messages that are actually pushing us away from where we actually need to be listening and trusting our body. So overexertion or pushing yourself too hard can lead to increased fatigue. It can lead to other symptoms, mood issues. It can lead, again, sleep disturbances. It can lead to skin and hair and all these different things that are, again, just our body saying, hey, something is up. So I'm going to harp back on that symptom journal, being able to make these notes. You can use this as data to say, hey, this is what my body's saying, and I actually can trust it. And the more we create evidence that we can trust our body, that we can listen in, the more we're going to be able to do it again and again and again. And I want to just reiterate that this is a practice. It's not something that you get right or wrong. It's something that you just continue to do. And the more you listen to your body and you trust it, and it's like, whoa, that was right. The more powerful you feel and the more empowered you feel to say like, hey, this is my body. I tell my clients that I will never know their lived experience better than them. I will never know their body better than them. So part of my job as a professional in this field is to trust my clients when they come to me and they say, you know what, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what's happening in my day-to-day -day life. This is what my body is telling me. And most of the time it's onto something. So I don't want you to leave this talk and feel like you've gotten new information and you can't trust what's actually going on with your body. You know, your body best, but, um, it's also, again, important to consider the timing of your workouts early morning, again, there's privilege and, and time availability and things like that, but be honest with yourself. If you're exercising in the middle of the day and it's causing an energy slump, then it might be a conversation about whether or not that exercise is actually helping or hindering the rest of your day. And can we look at different things um, at, at different times of the day, or maybe we even need to skip that day. And then just look when we have time in a different pocket or window um, on a different day and keeping track of your exercise routine, how it's affecting your symptoms, um, how it's affecting anything from hunger, cravings, mood, digestion, all the things will help you identify patterns, triggers um, that are impacting your energy levels, impacting brain fog and your overall, uh, your overall well-being. And the big thing is with tracking these symptoms, with tracking these triggers is going back to that aim method, being willing to say, okay, I can make adjustments. I can make changes here. Um, can be really, really helpful. Let me see the chat for questions. Okay. So Jesse asked, um, she said, I, I do not like yoga for religious reasons. Would Pilates be a good alternative? Absolutely. So Pilates in itself is just, it's just a mind body practice. That's it. Um, so anything like that, gentle stretching, whatever works for you absolutely would be just fine for that. Karen said, I'm having a hard time with giving myself time to recover from exercise. This is common. I definitely resonate with this. Not sure how to balance the effort and recovery. So the advice I will give on that is, is literally to, again, track, okay, this is what I did on this day. How did I feel the, the night of? How did I feel the day after, right? Looking at things like, 
hunger, craving, sleep quality, mood, muscle soreness, joint pain, all of these different things. Your body's going to tell you when it needs recovery and rest. Rest is a productive activity. The also cool thing about having different ways to move your body, low impact days, higher impact days, whatever your routine is, is you can also do something on another day, right? If you're doing one modality or activity, if you have a quote backup, then you can do that on another day and you can play and see how that is impacting symptoms. If you are looking to exercise um, just for overall well-being, increase energy. If you notice your energy is dipping, that's your body saying, hey, I need a break. It's the same as I tell my clients when we're trying to figure out that 3 p.m. energy slump, right? It's figuring out what's going on leading up to that and how we can actually change that up so that we take the slump from going down into just like into leveling out. I'm finding it hard to do even a beginner routine beyond one to two sessions because I kill muscles so much I can barely move. Also really, really common. And so what I would encourage you to do there um, as a beginner routine. So when we look at beginner routines, I'm going to throw this into generic recommendations. So this is, you know, the interesting thing is when we look at things like even lab work, I can compare it to that. We're looking at a really big pool of, of people and circumstances, right? Um, and so beginner, like what defines a beginner, right? Is this a beginner 16-year-old? Is this a beginner 70 year old, is this a beginner, somebody who's dealing with fatigue and, and, and low energy and things like that. And so when I look at it from that spectrum, there's always ways to scale it back, right? But our, our human brains want to do the most always. And so you want to follow through with your routine, but what would it look like to take that beginner routine? And instead of doing the entire, entire workout, how could, could we just do like half of the workout? Could we do 10 minutes of the workout and get through the first, you know, I don't know if we can get through one to two, can we then get through three and then see how we feel and go on from there? It could also be possible that that beginner routine is just not right for you um, at that time. And maybe looking for a different routine might be better for you. So a couple of different things, but if you're killing muscles, I would encourage you, there's multiple different ways to scale back, right? If we're doing a written routine, we can pull back by doing less reps, doing less sets, doing less weight, doing body weight, um, doing less of the workout if we're looking at time and things like that. So um, again, I know that that's a big mindset shift. We feel like we're quitting. We feel like we're giving up, um, but you're not. You're actually, again, going back to listening and trusting your body. And the more you do that, the more you listen, the more you trust, the easier it gets. I promise you that. I often feel like I'm using fatigue as an excuse. Yeah, definitely resonate with that. Um, I would encourage you to look at it a little bit differently. So when you are feeling fatigued, I would encourage you again, going back to the symptom journal. I know that's probably going to be you guys' biggest takeaway. Um, oh, in the middle of Texas. Yeah, I've got ideas for that because um, I live the coast. Um, so Feeling fatigue, whether or not it's real and a reason to push or to rest can be really, really real struggle. Um, but again, going back to the symptom journal, you know, noticing when the fatigue comes up again, that can give you kind of, um, a way to track. Okay. This is what's going on. I've exercised four days in a row. Now I'm feeling the fatigue. Maybe this is time to rest, or I've used fatigue three days in a row as a way not to move my body. Now this is the fourth day. Could I try to push through and see what happens and literally just see what happens? Also, if you're feeling fatigue at certain times in the day, is there another time of the day that you could put something into and see if that makes a difference in the overall fatigue? But backing away from this is an excuse. And again, the more we can reframe, and I promise this sounds like 
uh, one of my clients said, I feel like I give myself grace. And when we reframe it into self-compassion, self-compassion does not mean letting yourself off the hook. Self-compassion means meeting yourself where you are looking at it vulnerably and openly. And, um, using that as an opportunity to, to say, okay, could I do this? Am I making excuses or am I trusting my body and meeting myself where I am? And that's two different things. Suggestions for figuring out exercise when it's the middle of summer, Texas is almost here. Yes. Um, it was 95 degrees here today and we actually were out of power for most of the day. So I feel you, um, you know, if you have the opportunity Earlier in the day is always going to be better. Um, that didn't happen for me today. It was three o'clock in the afternoon and it was 95 degrees. So I feel that, but also recognizing that we don't want to overdo it. So going back to seasons, probably low impact, probably shorter timeframes, right? Like if you're looking at maybe a 30 minute workout, start with 15, see how that feels. Make sure that your body can cool down appropriately. And then when it's, I know in Texas, it's hot for a long time, uh, but when it starts to cool off and it gets in the fall, maybe that's a season for you where you extend that and then pull it back. So going back to like maybe Pilates, um, I know walking outside can be really, really challenging when it's 9,500 plus degrees outside. So we definitely want to be mindful of that, but Pilates could be a really great thing to do that. Doing short body weight workouts. Here's another fun thing that nobody wants to talk about. If you have a workout that you want to do, that's 30 minutes. You can do 15 minutes in the morning if that's all you have. And then you can do 15 minutes at the end of the day or the middle of the day when you have additional time, if you have the additional time. And that workout is not negated because you broke it up. Um, you can do that. I have one client right now who is, she has a trigger in her house. And every time she passes that trigger, she's, she's doing squats. And that's her way to get in movement um, throughout the day. But it's not enough to make her sweat and, and, and exhaust herself and things like that. But that's a way that she's using exercise um, to increase her energy and things like that. She's doing, um, I think right now we're doing like 10, 10 squats um, every time she passes her bathroom or something like that. Um, but something just really, really simple, almost so simple that your brain says, this is not worth it. Um, that's another really great thing when it comes to mention, when it comes to working out, when it comes to lifestyle modifications, when it comes to um, nutrition is making sure that it's so simple that your brain wants to say, this is too simple. That is a, cl a clue to me that if your brain says this is too simple, that it's probably the right thing for you to do because our brains are really good at talking us out of the things that we need to do. All right. Any more cues for A's? Clarification, um, additional information that you would like, areas that I can support you. Per usual, I've gone over my 60 minutes. Thank you, I'm so glad. All right, before I let you guys go, I promised that there would be a special announcement. Let me close my chat. Um, for people that um, gave me their ear and let me into the brain space for 60 minutes, you guys don't know how much I appreciate that. And again, I do not take that lightly. Um, so if this has been helpful and you're like, yes, I understand where I need to be going with this, but I still need a little bit more clarification and support. I am going to be opening enrollment for a brand new coaching program that I've never offered before. This is the exact thing that I needed when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I am so proud of it. I'm so excited. And I wanted to give you guys um, a sneak peek. I will also be giving you guys a um, special offer. So 
The Lifestyle Roadmap is a six-week coaching program um, to help you take charge of your health, reduce your symptoms of Hashimoto's, and thrive without the fad diets or extreme supplement protocols, and we're starting June the 5th. This is a coaching program where we will meet once a week for six weeks for 60 minutes to go in-depth on six core topics to, again, help you understand your symptoms more deeply, to work through these triggers, to begin reversing your symptoms um, with the knowledge of your triggers and your root causes through nutrition, exercise, lifestyle all the things that we've been talking about tonight um, so that you can go on and live your very best life. Um, this is one of the highest ways that you can work with me right now, because not only will we be meeting for 60 minutes, you will have messaging access to me in between our coaching sessions. Our coaching sessions will be every Monday for six weeks, starting June 5th. And then you have um, a community to chat with me, private messaging with me for six entire weeks to ask questions, to make sure that your protocol, your strategy is 100% um, unique and personalized for you. So as things are coming up, as you're experiencing flares, as you're experiencing life, um, you have coaching and support throughout that. Not only that, but weeks um, in between weeks four and six, we will meet together, just you and I on a 20 minute private coaching call where we're gonna chat and make sure that you are um, crystal clear on where you need to be focusing. Again, your time, your energy, your focus, all of the things so that you can be moving forward. I want this to be a hell yes um, for you. So I've got a couple of options to, for us to chat to make sure that that is the case. Um, but this is for you if you are ready to say goodbye to the conflicting information on the internet. You're tired of your doctor to being dismissive. You want direct information with all the without all the excess fluff. And you truly want implementable strategies that don't require a two-hour morning routine, dumping out your pantry or becoming a hermit for six weeks and having to stay in your house. Also that you're done feeling alone in your struggles because that was so, so, so me um, when I was diagnosed. So again, six 60-minute coaching sessions held Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Yes, replays will be available the same afternoon for you to download. You can keep it and access it forever, over and over and over again um, for notes, reference, et cetera. Access to me, your nutrition and lifestyle expert between sessions. This isn't a here's what you, here's your info, go figure it out type of program that so many people are offering. Um, you'll have WhatsApp access to me, your coach, Monday through Thursday in between sessions for questions, support, implementation, right? Um, I want you to let me be your bridge between here's the information and here's how you actually implement it in order to get results. Um, implementing your strategy so you stay motivated, encouraged, and focused on the right things um, versus what we like to do and go look at all the other things. And most importantly, a group of like-minded folks, because you are absolutely not alone in this. A group WhatsApp chat for support connections, so you no longer feel alone. And then of course, a um, one-time one-on-one coaching call between four and six, uh, weeks four and six. We're going to get on 20-minute one-on-one coaching call, so you're crystal clear on where you need to be going so that you can get results that actually last. As a thank you for signing up for this masterclass, and again, letting me in your headspace. Um, I'm offering anyone who has attended this evening, or if you're watching the replay, $100 off your enrollment. 
um, until Thursday, May 18th. So public enrollment will open next week. I'm offering you guys first dibs because I do have limited spots because I want this to be an intimate container to where you truly, truly, truly feel supported. I will send the link out with the replay, but you can head to updogwellnessandfitness.com slash lifestyle roadmap. The page is already live um, to get all the details. It breaks down week by week what we're going to be going over, what we're going to be talking about, um, hopefully answers any questions, but there's also an, op uh, an option on there to fill out a quick little questionnaire um, where you and I can have a chat back and forth. Because again, I want to make sure that this is in the highest um, level of support for you in your best interest in your journey. And if it's not, I will be more than happy to tell you that I don't think it's a good fit for you um, so that you can get the help and the support that you deserve. But please, if you go to the website, do not click the enroll button there because that will not um, give you your $100 off. I will send you a special link with the, uh, with the replay so that you can get your $100 off. Um, and yeah, so I would love those of you that are seeking support in truly feeling your best. I would absolutely be honored to support you in this journey. But other than that... That is all I have for you this evening. I will stay here for a few more minutes if any of you guys have any last questions. Again, I cannot thank you enough for allowing me to guide you through this masterclass, for um, lending me your ear for the last over, it's been over an hour. Um, this is my toxic trait. And I hope to be able to connect with you and support you so much further in the future. Not my share. Will the class be helpful for people who have more than one autoimmune issue? Absolutely. Um, so yes, because the autoimmune function with the immune system is really all encompassing of all the things. And so this program is to support your, your immune system. Yes, we're going to talk about thyroid stuff, but it's really actually centered around Hashimoto's and autoimmunity. Do I suggest a high protein meal? I suggest a balanced meal. Um, so yes, and yes, and. Making sure, you know, there's, there's all these guidelines for what should we, we should be getting for protein every single day. I like to start people with a minimum of hundred grams of protein per day. Now you don't need to go out and start tracking how many grams of protein that you're getting every single day, but, but, um, making sure that each and every meal has about a palm size, about a palm is about 20 grams of protein can be a really great place to start. I like for folks to have, um, protein. I like for them to have carbohydrates and healthy fats at every single meal and, and as many fruits and veggies as possible. Oh, good. Yes. I'm glad that that is helpful. How long did it take me to get my diagnosis and how do I approach this with my doctor? I have symptoms, but no diagnosis. So it took me five years. Um, I am, when I share my story, I'm pretty honest about that. So it took me five years. I had a really hard time getting a doctor to run anything other than a TSH, which is really, really common because that is what insurance requests. And that is how they manage thyroid medication. However, it does not share the whole story. So looking at T4, T3, and then of course, antibodies are important. But here's the big thing for me that I wish I would have known a long time ago is you don't have to have a diagnosis to treat your symptoms. And I, at the time that I was diagnosed was seeking a diagnosis because I felt like there was going to be medication. I felt like there was going to be supplements. I felt like there was going to be a magic something that was automatically going to make me feel better. And so I went to a functional medicine doctor. I cried when she said, you have Hashimoto's. It's like, I've known this for a long time, but no one would do anything about it. 
And so she sent me with, yes, medications, supplements, like my nightstand was covered with, with bottles of supplements and all of these things. And I was so excited. I didn't care how much they cost. I was so excited because this was going to make me feel better. I started working with a nutritionist um, about a month later because my supplements had been in me for a month and nothing was really changing. And um, my nutritionist just suggested a generic AIP diet um, and to do, and to quit riding my Peloton. Those were her recommendations. And so I gained 10 pounds. I was tired. Um, we had another miscarriage and I was just really, really frustrated. And so, um, I'd gone back to school during all of this. And one of the things, and I hired a, um, uh, naturopath to mentor me in the functional medicine side. And one of the first things that he told me is that we don't address our patients. Yes. And through was supposed to fix me. Um, we don't address our patients based off of a file or a piece of paper from a lab, we address the human being and what their lived experience is. And that, that, um, interaction changed how I look at my clients and how I looked at myself. Um, so when I look at clients all the time, I had a, I have a client, we've been working together for almost 18 months. And when she came to work with me, she had all the symptoms and, um, we spent six months getting her, her diagnosed. And we finally got a doctor to listen to us. Um, and it was a whole lot of, um, I, you know, I would send her with a piece of paper that said, please, please run these labs, labs for her. Um, but you can demand that certain labs. Um, I do run labs for some of my clients that who can't get doctors to run them. And when it's, you know, written on a piece of paper, so you can't dismiss my lived experience anymore. Now here's a piece of paper telling you that I have this. Um, but I will also say that when it comes to Hashimoto's, even though it's rampant, so many doctors will look at thyroid labs. And if you have antibodies, they're like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, which is, which is where I come in. It's like, we, we address, we address your symptoms. We address the, the root cause. We look at all the things. Um, and then, you know, I've been known to be pretty forceful with my clients, doctors and to get them to do something to help them. But yeah, I don't have any clients that have waited five years for a diagnosis, but it was a very hard road for me to get diagnosed. Any other questions? Well, I will be sending this recording out. I will give you guys um, the link and a password so you can download it, so you can keep it as long as you'd like, refer back to it um, as often as you want. If you're interested in the coaching program, I will uh, put special stuff in there. I will put the link for the questionnaire. It's just a quick questionnaire for me to get some history on you. I'm not going to be doing this for the open enrollment, um, because I can't filter through that many applications, but as again, as a thank you for attending this, I want to make sure again, that, that we're on the same page and this would truly be supportive and help you and, um, have a conversation with you. So if you're interested, you can fill that out. I'll send you a special link to enroll with a discount. Um, and yeah, please reach out. If you have any follow-up questions, anything that I can do for you guys, I am so grateful that you were here and um, spent this time with me. And um, yeah, if you don't, if you're not a member of the free Facebook group, I do live trainings in there every single week. I would love to have you in there um, as well as I have the podcast, the metabolism mindset and macros podcast that I am uh, releasing every single week on different topics around Hashimoto's autoimmunity, PCOS, things like that. Um, and I would love to be a part of your journey. Hope you guys have a great rest of your night and I will chat with you soon.
Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can learn more about me and my coaching offers at updogwellnessandfitness.com. The wait list is open for the Hashimoto's Lifestyle Roadmap, the program that was built off of this masterclass that we ran back in June. We will be running it again this September. So make sure you grab a spot on the wait list. I will be opening enrollment towards the end of August. And those on the wait list, of course, will see receive early bird bonuses and pricing. So you'll want to make sure that you are on there to receive the the best opportunity to join us in this program. This program honestly changed a lot for me. It is the best program as far as being able to lead these women through this that I have ever run in my career. It was an absolute joy and pleasure. I am still wrapping up the one-on-one calls from that program and receiving so much positive feedback of how it has positively impacted women on their health and wellness journey. So I would love for you to be a part of this next round. I will drop the direct link in the show notes so that you can make sure and join us. As always, you can follow me on Instagram, Natalie Brooke. Brooke is with an E Guevara. Again, my website is updogwellnessandfitness.com. Learn more about me and my coaching opportunities. And it would mean the world to me if you would take the time to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if this podcast was helpful, if it resonated, so that more women can, can find us. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you again next week.